This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to On the Bench. I'm your host for this episode, Brendan Sinone, joined by Christopher Nee. Right now, I think we'll have Zach Blossom on in a little bit. We started a little bit earlier than anticipated. Uh, got a busy Monday ahead of us. I wanted to hit the ground running. Chris and I were up, caffeinated. I'm caffeinated. Are you caffeinated yet, Chris? I am not. What? You don't start your day with coffee all the time, do you? No, I usually try to drink water when I get out of bed. Hmm. I think that's explaining a lot with these morning podcasts. It's all making sense now. Let's get into it, sir. FSU dropped its first game of the year. As Mike Norvell said, life's not a fairy tale. This probably was never going to be a 12-0 season. It was really nice while well, well, it lasted, though. Seminoles dropped a home game, two wake fours, 31-21. In a game that was pretty much you know, late first quarter, early second quarter after kind of this cluster of, of issues for Florida State, Wake Forest is able to more or less control the the game for the entirety of it. And I think that kind of sets the tone for how a lot of the people in the fan base are feeling that FSU was not blown out. Uh, they were competitive, but game was very much so dictated by Wake Forest. Uh, Chris, I guess what stood out to you about this loss for the Seminoles? It felt a lot like watching FSU of last season. I agree. Totally. I mean, the, the offensive line had a um, horrible day, just to put it plain and simple. The tackles really got beat to hell. Um, Wake really targeted them, had a great deal of success. It bothered the offense a great deal in the first half, threw him out of rhythm. Jordan Travis did not have his best day. He didn't look uh, spring fresh as far as knee felt and his ability to evade things. And I think some of that was just the pressure was coming from everywhere in a lot of different forms and fashion. And it wasn't extra bodies on Wake's part. It was just them winning at the line of line of scrimmage point of attack. Um, you know, Jazz had a bad game. Darius Washington had a bad game. I thought the receivers played well. The running game really wasn't given a great deal of an opportunity to have success on the day because FSU got behind. They had to start pushing it down the field. The The running game was a mixed bag on the day, I guess is the best way I can put it. And then defensively, FSU didn't win in situations. They, they didn't allow Wake Forest to hit huge plays, which Wake Forest is very much built to be successful at. They have excellent receivers and a quarterback who's very well-versed in tossing the ball down the field. FSU made them kind of earn everything they got, but they just kept on earning it. FSU didn't get off the field a whole lot outside of basically two drives in the second half and one drive early in the game. Uh, Wake kind of dictated terms offensively, and it was just disappointing. And then, obviously, special teams, there were some great moments. You know, I, I thought Alex punted the ball fairly well in the game. I thought Micah Pittman had a great return that he came very close to housing. Excellent hurdle in the return, 34 yards, I believe it was. It's longest return for FSU in the punt game since DJ Matthews against Miami for a touchdown. But then you have Ryan Fitzgerald, who's just not trustworthy as a kicker at this point, and clearly going through it. And 
you know, it, it's very tough, I think, to coach a game when you have no option in the kicking game at all because not only do you know that, your opponent knows that and it allows them to play a little differently. There are a lot of things to get to, and I, I'm not sure what I think the most germane aspect uh, of this of this episode or this loss is, is going to be, frankly, Chris. I think there's like five to six things we can really dive into. Uh, I'm looking at – so here's one one thing. We, let's talk about – you mentioned Wake Forest dictating terms. And I think that's an important aspect of this game because it was on both sides of the ball. Would you agree with that, that Wake was able to basically play its game both offensively and defensively? Yeah, FSU had some success doing what they wanted to do offensively in the second half and obviously on the very first drive of the game where FSU kind of marched on the field with ease and did it. But in general, I felt like the offense was very discombobulated for a good bit of the first half and still had its struggles in the second half because of the pressure it was facing. Wake Forest runs 85 plays from scrimmage compared to FSU 63. And that was very much, this is where you talk about complimentary football, like Wake's able to keep sustaining drives. Like you mentioned, Chris, they were able to convert, what was it? 83%. That's not too high of third and 63. It was like 66, 63%, I think. Yeah. They, they were three of three on fourth down tries. All of those were relatively easy attempts. I think two of them were actually inches. I believe they were 10 of 18. I think it was on third down. If I recall correctly, that sounds right. I'm trying to pull up. I'm using a different uh, – that's why I'm struggling here. I'm using a different stat sheet than normal, and so I'm struggling to find it immediately off the off the cuff here. They were 10 of 18 on third down. FSU was 4 of 11 on third down, 1 of 1 on fourth downs. So they were 13 of 21 in those situations. FSU was 5 of 12 in those situations. So it, it just on third down alone, Wake was 55% conversion rate on third down. That's 82nd percentile, but that's not including them in the three of three on, on fourth downs, which included, uh, was it two touchdowns? They had they had at least one touchdown on fourth down as well. So you know, inability to get off the field for Florida State allows Wake to kind of keep moving the ball slowly. And what that does, so the defense not able to get off the field, offense struggles to really get in a rhythm. And for an offensive, like the run game is not just smash mouth, they're going to beat you down four or five yards at a time keep wedging it in the middle of the field no it's a rhythm-based running game uh fsu's rushing attack was pretty abysmal on the day the yard per carries not bad 4.41 to wakes 4.3 yards per carry so that was kind of clean uh but the expected points added is really where it it changes and that's you know wake was at 0.4 so it wasn't a loss it wasn't a huge gain it was kind of neutral FSU at negative 6.65 expected points added. So basically, uh, the run game just wasn't effective. Outside of Treshawn Ward, who had a a few big ones, uh, really not able to get going. FSU tried to use Jordan Travis as a runner, Chris. I think that was one thing we talked about on the show last week, that if you have it, if you have an emergency, you got to try to use that. And yesterday was, excuse me, Saturday was an emergency. And it was ineffective, uh, which is a little alarming for the next two games coming up. Yeah. What wasn't working about the run game? Was it, I mean, this is as simple as the offensive line just kind of getting beat up this one? Well, I think it was twofold. One, the offensive line got pushed back. And there was a lot of instances where, uh, whether it was Jordan Travis or running back, they were having to work around essentially one of their blockers to try to get to the spot they were working to because the blockers were getting blown back or blown by. And that happened far too often. It wasn't a single player on a lot of plays. It was actually a number of players, usually two in most instances where there were issues. And that's not all that uncommon on the offensive line. Uh, 
especially, you know, if the center gets blown off the ball, it usually disrupts all of it for the offensive line. But usually if one guy on one side has an issue, the other guy on that same side tends to have an issue along with them. And sometimes it's a chorus of both of the guys on the end. And we saw way too much of that on Saturday. Go, Again, so real quick, go back and for people listening, go back and I put on Twitter. It's on the Knowles 24-7 page. Watch the play where Jordan Travis has his fumble, which was a key, key play in the game. Uh, Marie Smith gets, this is exactly what Chris is talking about. Marie Smith gets pushed back. Uh, Demetri Emanuel has to take a weird angle to get to the second level. He was not moving well in general. He misses and, and whiffs more or less on his his assignment. Was a linebacker was able to get free and force the fumble on Jordan Travis. And then not that it really impacted the play, but Jason Turnitin also polling doesn't doesn't touch anyone. I think that's a good example of, of what Chris is talking about that happened something like that way too often on Saturday. Yeah, and uh, it's an eleven minute game. You got to have the eleven guys on offense in the run game, usually performing at a pretty optimal level for there to be high level of success. Or the back or the quarterback just has to make people miss and have success. And Wake's a pretty sound fundamental team. I wouldn't describe their defense as great by any stretch of the idea, but they know what they're doing. They tackle at a pretty good rate. They have a linebacker in the Ryan kid who's going to be one of their top 20 tacklers in school history. He's a kid that's a very safe player for them. I believe he was a leading tackler on the day. And that's sort of how they're built. They're going to funnel. They're going to make plays. They're also going to disrupt you a bit. FSU was actually the more disruptive of the two teams. FSU had, I think it was nine tackles for loss, four sacks, which I think uh, the four sacks equals the season high, if I recall correctly, for the game. Meanwhile, Wake only actually had one sack. They had six tackles for loss. But some of theirs were more important than FSU's, namely the fumble they created that allowed there to be a big stretch in the scoreboard because uh, they turned that fumble into a 39-yard touchdown drive and went up very quickly on FSU. And kind of that altered the way FSU was going to be able to play that game because you can't – you got to keep scoring against Wake. You can't kind of sit back and let it play out and keep playing possessions because Wake is going to stay on the field. They do control the clock if they so choose. They can also go very fast. They're kind of a team that will yo-yo their tempo based on what they want to do and how they want to do it. And that fumble was a crucial moment because it did turn into seven, and FSU never got that back from a defensive perspective. They never created a takeaway or a turnover that allowed them to even up that idea of that portion of the game. They had a chance, for example, with the greedy Vance near interception late in the game, but it kind of spoke to the nature of the game. That goes from being a near interception for greedy Vance to a completion, if I recall correctly, a first down for Wake Forest. That's mm-hmm. sort of the day it was. Um, you know, was I, I don't, on, wasn't that on third down as well, if I remember correctly? It was. I'm it was not a 100% sure on it down, but going. it would make sense based on the kind of play call in the past that it was that, yeah, it probably was. Or at least they were trying to convert for a first down there, and they definitely did so. And that kind of spoke to the day. I mean, I don't want to the team's four and one. I don't think any of us are going to complain about them being four and one. I think the disappointing thing about Saturday is that despite the fact that they played really poorly and we haven't even mentioned the fact that they had what 11 penalties for almost a hundred yards. Yeah. Um, more than a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they played poorly, but they actually still had a chance there at the end. Uh, if they could have got off the field, but Wake Forest kind of drove it down their throat. I think it was an 18 play drive, mm-hmm. six or seven minute drive. They kind of, you know, killed the chances in and there and they settled for a field goal, but that drive to them was more about keep the ball, kill the time, put FSU in the predicament where they need 10 points. And, you know, if you got a field goal kicker who can't make field goals, wow. Getting two scores in a short time span is tough. And we saw that he missed a 55 yarder where FSU needed to pull and then immediately uh, needed to get the ball back. 
but they didn't have that chance because they missed a field goal. So it, it was a bad game. I, I don't want to simplify it. And there's obviously things that are concerning going forward, specifically in the trenches on both sides of the ball to me. And probably the secondary would be next up after that. But I think FSU will play a better version of themselves going forward. I don't think we're going to see FSU continue to play that poorly. But there are warts specifically, some of the blocking ability up front for the offensive line that I don't know how much it can get better unless guys get healthy. So you hinted at this, Chris, and I think this is a point that is worth us talking about for a couple of minutes. It was a comment that Mike Norvell made after the game, the press conference, and I felt this way during the game was that there was just a weird energy, a weird vibe, almost like this level of pressure or tension uh, to the team during the game. And and Mike referred to it as pressing, which is kind of a common coach coach phrase to use. Uh, it can mean a lot of things, but to me, it seemed like this team felt tightly wound. It didn't play the way it normally did. I'm having a tough time, even going back and rewatching the game, uh, reflecting on it, thinking about it, talking about it with different sources. It just, putting my finger on like why, like what, what it was, but it, it did. Would you agree? Like it felt different out there. Just watching the play it didn't feel like the loose, fun, energetic team that we saw the first four games of the season. There was some level of tension there. I think it, it trickled into their play. Yeah. I. You might, you might not have felt so, it, but I'm also very sensitive to these sort of things. So like, I felt like they were kind of like they were prior to the LSU game, but I think LSU game, they were so playing with house money and plus the fans showing up as they did at LSU, I think was one of those things that helped them get over that, the environment. And the environment was good Saturday. Fans showed up damn near 70,000, and obviously there were major circumstances in the state that complicated it for many of the fans in Florida last week and other places like the Carolinas. Um, I, I didn't. I didn't think the energy was bad. I think it was a matter of they had a really good opponent they were facing. They didn't do very well after the first drive. FSU only had like 40 yards between the first drive of the first half and the last drive of the second half, or I'm sorry, of the first half. Um, So they kind of stalled out offensively. Some of that was what Wake was doing. And I just think they knew they had a big task with Wake in the passing game, and it was a big game for the cornerbacks and also trying to get Hartman on his backside. And while they had some success getting Hartman down, you know, the secondary kind of failed on the day. And I think it was more that. I think it's, you can practice all week. You can watch video all week of an opponent and know, man, they can air it out. They're going to win one-on-ones. They're going to do this. We're going to try to do that. But when it starts happening, the bullets start flying. Uh, it impacts you. And I think Wake winning a lot of early third downs because they came out very hot on third down. I think five of their first seven it converted on. And a couple of those were like A.T. Perry, catches on Renardo Green. I think there was another one on Renardo by Donovan Green. Um, Renardo had a tough day. He did. And Duke Cooper was right there with him. He didn't have a particularly good day either. Um, I think only one DB the whole game actually got his hand on a ball and disrupted it. Greedy Vance obviously had the opportunity too. So there's those two instances. But in general, Hartman aired it out. And while he didn't go vertical a ton and have a great deal of success down the field, in the sense of explosive plays, they only had, I think, about six passing plays you would label as explosive. Um, he consistently had success at connecting, moving the chains, putting them in very winnable downs and having success. So I don't know about the energy as much as I just think it was a caliber of opponent. And I don't think FSU handled it very well when the punches started getting thrown. That was a part of it that... Wake seemed again. Wake was able to. I'm saying all this. Wake was able to dictate terms pretty early on and get control. And when that happens, like you're in a an inherently pretty good spot. Uh, but Wake's experience and experience of just like 
not just older players, but older players who've played together for a long period of time that played in the same system. I thought that that showed up. I mean, it's just a really smart, well-coached team. Like they drew penalties uh, at a high level, like where they were kind of baiting FSU into not even they hold and get away with it. I'm going to say something controversial. I'm going to say in a whisper. I didn't think the like the, the play against Derek McClendon that everyone's mad at. I didn't think it was that bad of a hold. I'm not even but referencing were... that. But they mush okay. you together and they do clutch and grab. But because it's so much done to the middle instead of like reaching or you know being wide and putting the arms in the space, it, there's NFL teams that do that at a high level. And it's not the worst thing. It's smart. You're much more likely to get away with a clutch and grab when bodies are stuck together inside than when it's, you know, in space because referees aren't very good at their jobs. It's almost like, so a lot of what they did, more what I was referencing, and I think your points are fair, but more so what I was referencing is like their defensive ends uh, draw holding penalties. They start, they throw up their hands right away or their wide receivers draw pass interferences, almost play to get a pass interference. It reminds me like in basketball the last few years where a, a player is shooting a three-point shot and tries to, is basically trying to bait a defender to jump into him and get on the free throw line. I feel like that's kind of what Wake did. And and so I'm saying all that, like Wake was just doing things to consistently frustrate Florida State. Uh, I didn't think the body language was particularly good at times, especially on defense. Now you're kind of getting your well, butt kicked. That makes sense. Why? The most disappointing moment for the defense, in my opinion, was that first drive of the second half. They kind of, I don't want to say they rolled over, played dead, but Wake did whatever they want right out of the locker and went down the field with ease and, made the scoreboard, what, three touchdowns at that point? I it, believe. Was it was 28 to 7. Yeah, so, like, that puts you in a major predicament. Even if you play an outstanding second half, you're probably still going to allow at least one score to your opponent because they're that good of an offense. Expecting Wake to score less than about 35 is just not what it should be. They're still averaging 40-plus on the season, despite FSU holding them to a season-low 31 points. So you know they're going to score. So you're in that situation where, man, you got to score and you got to score fast. And you probably have to get a takeaway in there to have success. And the lack of takeaways, you know, it put FSU in a predicament where they pretty much had to play a perfect second half to have a chance to come back. Like four or five sequences that really define that game. One is the that opening drive in the second half for Wake Forest. That was brutal to watch. I mean, just the defense being as lackluster as they were, coming as flat as they were. That was that was really disappointing. And I'll give them credit. They they did rebound and respond, but like Chris said, just the implications of what that does for the the win probability and, and your chance of, of mounting a comeback, like that really makes it difficult. With all that being said, another big sequence was uh, after the Micah Pittman punt return and the defense was starting to heat up a little bit and Micah gives you a little bit of juice there uh, and you get down to the four. It would have been first and goal at the four after a couple of plays and you hit the big one to Pokey Wilson. Uh, there's a holding penalty on Darius Washington. I didn't think that was a terrible hold. It, it, again, that was an example of I thought the Wake defender kind of throwing his arm up and, and baiting it. But you end up on that drive getting backed up to the point where I think it was fourth and 31. Like you had to punt. You couldn't get any points on that on that possession. So that was a huge one. Uh, then the one right before the f- end of the first half where Dave Clawson and Mike Norville kind of getting a, a chess match of, of time. And it seemed like Mike almost got kind of baited into being concerned about time. Uh, it played for the field goal uh, and FSU misses a 29 year field goal. And, and I think that'll bring us to the kicking game and just what you can do going forward. But I think those are some of the sequences that really define this game for the Seminoles and, and just Wake Forest was able to win situationally consistently. And that's how you end up controlling the game. Zach, good morning. Good morning. 
we got started early. Yeah, it's kind of messed up, man. I woke I mean, up 30 minutes before we were supposed to start, too. What's going on? I mean, with that? Chris, Chris was ready to go. I don't know what you want. We, we busy Monday. But okay. I, I know that Zach's always down. I don't know what I'm going to get Chris or what I'm going to get out of him. So I had to get, get it while the going was good there. I apologize on behalf of both of us. Cause Chris won't apologize for this. <laughs> it's all good. No tension here. Alrighty. So let's play buyer Sinone. We got you for the important part, Zach, the most important part uh, and buyer Sinone is sponsored by the Turner group. Their Turner group is a family run real estate company in central Florida and not just family run, but no run. Uh, we got Amy Turner and Colin Turner are both FSU graduates. Uh, Amy in 2006, Colin in 2005. Uh, Zach, your your mom actually gave Colin the call, I guess, the other day, and that worked out pretty well, at least like to where he didn't even know that it was the Zach Blostein's mom. And all of a sudden, uh, they were doing business. Yeah, uh, my sister got uh, unfortunately like displaced due to Hurricane Ian in Orlando, um, but my mom asked me for for Colin Turner's um, number uh, after that happened. And, and yeah, I heard that the call went well. But, yeah, it's an unfortunate situation because she's looking for a new home um, in the in the Orlando area. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I really recommend him, and he was really nice. So um, definitely, definitely a good place to do business. Yeah, got back right away, and again, didn't even know that it was you know his his sponsorees giving the call. You know, so that was a I didn't, I didn't give him a heads up or anything. He got got back to his ex mom right away, which was nice. But uh, but so Colin is going to work really hard for you. He is very diligent. Again, he's an FSU fan. Uh, he's easy to get a hold of, and he's someone who uh, has closed a lot of deals in the last year. So I would listen. We thoroughly recommend the Turner group because they are so hands-on and they do such a good job. This is kind of your one-stop shop. Uh, the best way to reach Colin and, and please let him know that when you do reach out, heard it on the bench, you can reach out to him at 407-403-8546 or you can email at get started at the Turner or just go to the Turner group, Google it. Uh, you'll see a bunch of five-star reviews uh, from different algorithms there that, that people have, uh, had great experiences with and the Turner group, they'll take you to their website as well. So the Turner group sponsoring by Orsonone. Let's get going by Orsonone. We are going to take a bunch of, I guess, narratives or common questions, concerns that we've seen on the message board. I'm going to boil it down to by Orsonone from this Wake Forest game to kind of give us the, the full picture of the contest. Uh, let's start off with this, fellas. By Orsonone, FSU was outcoached. It's like the worst thing a fan can say is that we got outcoached. They were outcoached by Wake Forest. By Orsonone. I was trying to let Zach have you know his word. I've spoken plenty here. Oh, he'll buy it. He's buying it. All right, Zach, you're buying it. Go for it. Um, I don't think it was like a complete like, um, you know, Norvell got whipped. But I think you kind of mentioned like towards the end of that half. Um, Dave, Kla it felt like Dave Klossman was kind of manipulating Norvell into caring about time um, at, at the end of that half and kind of forced, you know, the field goal. Um, I think it was with, what, like a minute left. Um, it, it just, especially on offense, just what they do, it feels like Wake can just control the game so efficiently because you knew every time that Sam, Sam Hartman hold on the on the uh you know slow mesh stuff that it was going for a big game 
because they were running it so well that if he handed it off, he was getting like the, the running back was getting like five, six yards. So it just felt like the entire game that the, that wakes offense was in complete control. Um, and I think, you know, that has Dave Clawson predicted that Adam Fuller was going to run out and try to force them to run it. Um, and he felt confident that they could do that. He said that in his press conference. I just, I watched it uh, last night. Um, and, and they came out basically with a counter game plan to what they thought Fuller would do. And it didn't, it took until I think like the, after that, that drive that put them up to uh, 28 for the defense to actually settle in and hone in on stopping the run. And that ultimately helped them, you know, they only allowed three more points in the game because of that, the defense started to play better, but it felt like that's just way too long, like for Fuller and the, and the defense to, to get on the same page. So yeah, I, I'd buy that. Like, I think, especially on defense, like, I don't, I just think they got out coached and, and um, scheme wise, like they need to, to be able to uh, fix things in a quicker, you know, fashion. I'm selling it. I, I don't think the coaching was a massive difference. I think miscues is what did FSU in more than anything. Uh, we've mentioned the inability to block on the offensive side of ball. Defensive line didn't get the job done, especially out of the gate. It got better. Jared Verse injected some confidence into that group with some big plays. And then you got Josh Farmer and Pat Payton making plays down the stretch. But the inability for the defense to generate a turnover was deadly. And Wake's going to get theirs. Wake is a well-coached football team always. They're going to score a lot of points. I don't think any of us walked into that game expecting FSU to score, needing to score less than 35-ish points to win that ball game. And they just simply didn't get there, mainly because of miscues. Too many drives that dissolved because of the fact they couldn't block it. Obviously, the fumble that turned into seven after a short scoring drive, 39 yards, I believe it was, was a huge difference. I'll go with a slight buy, but nothing. I mean, I, Dave Clausen's a really, really high end coach. And his, again, his team was able to dictate terms fairly early on. And when that happens, you're playing with house money. Uh, it's like when you get up early and you're playing poker with your buddies, and if you win the first few hands, you start, start all of a sudden start being a little bit more aggressive, or someone else has to start pushing a little bit, uh, pressing. Uh, I, I think that's kind of what we saw, where just Florida State wasn't able to play their full game, whereas Wake Forest was able to kind of do what they want and got control fairly early. Again, you win situational downs. You went on third and long a couple times, although Wake was in a lot of third and medium to third and shorts as well, which was you know, by design. Wake did a really nice job with that and, and then was precise and converted on those consistently able to stay on the field and yeah this is just wake was in was in control for a good chunk of the contest uh, some of that's on coaching some of that's just you lose one-on-ones in the trenches and out wide uh, that's what's going to happen um i didn't leave this game super i i felt better re-watching the game than i did uh leaving the press box on saturday I, I zach, felt like was- zach referenced that end of the second quarter stretch Mm-hmm. I was frustrated by that. Um, if I recall correctly, I was very frustrated by the second down play call after the second timeout. You were uh, ready to fire people after that one. I was not ready to fire them, but I was unhappy. So third down, FSU, uh, I think it's like third and six or third and eight. It's third and six because they got it by a yard. And it was a seven-yard play by Tovilli. Wake calls a timeout, but a buck 15 left. FSU converts. Wake burns another timeout after FSU's first down play with 57 seconds left. And then they burn another one after FSU runs for like nothingness going to the right side. 
almost felt like a play where they were almost settling for a field goal in the red zone in a game where you got to keep scoring points and seven, not three, especially when the guy kicking for three is untrustworthy. And I, I didn't like how that played out. And I, I thought it set a bad omen going in the locker room, especially knowing that Wake is getting the ball first to start the second half. That ends up being a 10-point swing because Wake comes out and scores in that first drive and you missed the field goal. That was a chip shot. I mean, that's that was a 10-point game. I mean, there's the game kind of in that in that two-drive sequence. Uh, bringing us to this buyer's to known, FSU needs to hold open tryouts for a place kicker. Uh, this is a common question on the message board. I'm going to start this off with Sinone. I think that's kind of a silly thing to do. I think that's gimmicky. Uh, I don't know what you do. You're in a really bad spot. I just, I don't think that's, that seems like a very short-term haphazard way to go about trying to fix a pretty terrible situation right now uh, that's impacting your you in close games pretty profoundly. But I, I don't think holding open tryouts is the answer to that i think that's gimmicky so i'm synoning it what about you guys i guess i'm synoning the idea of open tryouts but you got to figure something out you can't keep trotting the kid out there you got to give him a break you but what what do we do back. like what does florida state well, do? you got that's aiden sharari who i don't think is going to improve the results any you've got alex i don't know if alex can do any field goal related stuff i don't think he really can i don't ever recall alex actually attempting a field goal in practice correct me if i'm wrong there and then you got Mac, who I know has kicked in the past. I don't know how much he's done it since he arrived at FSU. He's obviously handled some kickoffs this year. I know he had at least one against like Duquesne. Um, so maybe you try that. You got to try something. I, you're either trying something or you're just never kicking another field goal this year. That, that's trying something. I mean, that might be the solution is you, you just you go for it on fourth down consistently, unless it's like a 45-yard, 55-yard field goal or something like that. And you're just – yeah game dictates that you have to uh, like at the end of, of the game um, you might just have to go for it on fourth down consistently and, and call your plays accordingly, which may not be a bad thing. Uh, wh- what about you, Zach? What do you think? Man, I want to be a contrarian here, but I don't like, that's not like a salute. Like there's no way you're going to find, like, I don't know. I, I just We're, think that's silly. First of all, it's like, it's bad look optically. Um, and I just don't know what you do. Like, I don't think there's a better option than what they have. Or I don't think there's a better option on the roster right now. Um, I, I I guess just go for it on fourth down. Like, I, I just, it's a tough situation. And it, it's unfortunate that this wasn't addressed in the offseason. Um, but maybe they just, this all developed during the season. Because there was really no, no reason to not trust Fitzgerald after last season. It wasn't like he was horrible. Yeah, pe- people are under the impression that he was really bad to Zach's point. Uh, he missed that field goal against Notre Dame, which I think kind of set cast the die. I think it was eight of 11 last year, with that, including the, the season opening one. Like that wasn't, he didn't have a bad year, isn't it? As yeah, a, he's, as he's four of nine at this point this year, and I think it's two of seven against uh, non Duquesne's. Um, or, yeah. So <laughs> he, he's obviously, he's in a tough place. I, I, I legitimately feel for that kid. He's a super nice kid. He's a he loved coming to this place. He he's probably feeling worse about it than any fan or anybody else is ever going to feel about it. So like, but it is what it is. He's got the job to do, and he's feeling to do it. So, message board, please attack the performance, not the person. Be just to be kind, like. 
the performance, not the actual person. You're asking way too much of them. Uh, Zach, what are your thoughts on like maybe with Aiden, like being just like a 35 yarder and kind of guy and just having that and everything else, like either you have to play fourth down math, like at that point or have Ryan, like just as a guy who like boots it from far away. So he's not overthinking it. I, I just, I don't know. Uh, the solution has to be inward and it may not, it just may not actually exist this year, but you're not looking outward for it right now. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you go with Aiden at all, I don't think you put Ryan in like for any situation. I just like, if you're going to make that move, you got to make it and stick with it. Um, because once you, once you like um, tell Ryan that he's not, you know, your guy, like that just going to, like, I think that's, like, it just needs to be the end of it. Um, like, I don't think you, you do a both situation. So, I don't know. I Like, I don't know of Aiden's skill. Like, obviously, we get to see him kick field goals in practice and stuff. Um, but they play on the far side. So, it's really hard to see, like, who's even kicking the field goals uh, sometimes. So, I don't know. Like, I think he could probably make, like, chip shots, like you're saying, like, under 35. So, maybe that's a solution for, for when you're, you know, close to the goal line and you need a kick. But... Like Fitz is like making like I mean, he's missed one PAT on the year and then missed a 29 yard field goal. Like obviously there's more pressure in a field goal, but come on, man. Like it's just like how do you predict that? People are saying like, oh, you shouldn't have kicked that 29 yard one like in the game. It's like, dude, come on. Well, I think it's more a mechanics thing. If you watch him kick right now, it's a mess. I just don't know enough about mechanics. I, like, I don't know a great deal about yeah. kicking. I've I've always owned that. Kicking is one of those things, but in talking to people that watch kicking, that know kicking. It, it it's kind of from what I've always understood, like a golf swing, try to be consistent with what you're trying to do. And if you watch him right now, it's not, he came out before the second half on Saturday oh. and was struggling in like the warm up portion that lends itself to at this point, it's yips mental. It's something of that sort, which is super tough on a guy, but it is what it is. I, I just, I don't know. I maybe shut him down for a couple weeks, let him recharge, figure it out. Let him have a couple good weeks of practice, roll him back out there. And you just don't go with the field goal game in these coming games outside of maybe somebody kicking extra points. And it could even be Ryan kicking extra points. I don't know what you do. It, it's a very weird situation, but it's a disadvantage for FSU for opponents to know that basically at this point they can't attempt field goals. I, I have more thoughts on this, but I don't think we need to belabor the point. We've talked a lot about the kicking game. Uh, RIP Bob Ferrante. Moving on, Byer Sinone. Uh, this was a narrative. Uh, shout out Bud Elliott for starting this one on the message board. I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts on it. Byer Sinone, Wake Forest, let its foot off the gas. Uh, that's a Sinone to me. Like, they changed the tempo of the game. Uh, they controlled the game. They didn't have to do everything like they, they would have had to. if like So the game dictated that, that Wake didn't have to be as aggressive in spots, but I mean, I, we were there. I, I Sensing it, like, I don't think that this was a game that – Wake allowed FSU to crawl back into. Uh, honestly, Wake was kind of fortunate that FSU didn't convert. You had the holding penalty that negated the uh, what would have been a first and goal situation. Came out with zero points there, and, and some of the weird things in between the, the first and second half. Like uh, FSU clawed and, and battled, and Wake had to hold on uh, for sure. I, so I I don't know if I love the narrative that F, that Wake uh, or that FSU was afforded to get back into the game because Wake just wasn't playing aggressively. They didn't change a ton of what they did uh, on offense. Just slowed it down a little bit. It's a hard Sinone for me. FSU's defense actually made some plays in the second half, namely negative plays at line of scrimmage. 
and that altered two drives and got FSU to ball back. They couldn't get off the field in the first half outside of one drive. So I, I don't think Wake drastically changed. Wake was willing to milk it a little bit more, and they changed their tempo up, but they do that. They yo-yo their tempo at times. Which you should if you're up by two scores right. in the second half. Like you, You're allowed to slow it down a little bit. That's not letting your foot off the gas. This is playing football like smart. I, I yeah, the only thing that changed in the second half is FSC's defense actually got off the field eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Yeah, and you won situationally, and you were able to also win a little bit more on second down to where you're forcing some third and longs, which makes more for a more advantageous uh, you know, third down pass rush package as well. Real quick, Chris has mentioned yo-yoing a couple times. Do you think like 20-year-olds listening to this podcast know what a yo-yo is? Like, are yo-yos still a thing? Zach, do you know what a yo-yo is? You're 20 Of course. Okay. I don't know. I don't know if they were still it's making yo-yos. ageless gift. Okay. Fire Snow, Zach. Um... I'm sorry, am I not entertaining you enough here? You're yawning and shit. Wake I mean, up. You guys uh, started the podcast 45 minutes before we were supposed to. I'm a call. Wake up. Give me a break. Um, I'm denoting that. Like, come on now. What are we doing? Um, I think, uh, like, Wake did not play as, as good as the second or second half as they did the first, obviously. Um, and that's because Florida State, you know, caused pressure at the line, which they didn't do pretty much at all besides that one verse sack um, in the first half. And I mean, if you look at like what, like how uh, Sam Hartman was throwing the ball, like that, it should have been a pick to greedy Vance. Like if greedy doesn't, you know, miss time that jump, that's an interception. Um, and it completely changes that dynamic of the game. If Darius Washington doesn't hold your first and goal at the four yard line um, after that pokey Wilson catch, like, Florida State was just playing better and executing better. Obviously, they had these little miscues that that caused them, you know, to lose the game ultimately. Um, but it's not like Wake let off the gas. Like I, I didn't. Like I, I feel like that's something we would we would have noticed, right? Like in, in the press box watching the game, I didn't I didn't re- like realize that or recognize that at all. The, the one thing to be fair, and it's on the message board. Like it's a good conversation started but it's very good at that like it's at Knowles 24 7 on the board and one thing he mentioned was the louisville game last year 
it felt, I mean, Louisville, like there's some quantifiable evidence of like Louisville stopped pushing the ball downfield. Like their air yards per attempt went from like 10 to two or three. Like that's taking your foot off. That's completely changing what you were doing in the first half from a, from a schematic standpoint and from play calling and uh, what you're trying to do. Um, that's not what happened. I felt like Wake kept trying to try, try, kept trying to do what they were doing, maybe slowing it down a little bit at times. But FSU was getting them off the field more and also had more success moving the ball consistently too in the second half. Whether they were able to punch it in or convert on it, you know, it wasn't the case. But uh, I, I also- it changed. I look at Dave Clawson like a math teacher to a degree. And a lot of what he does, I feel like, is number-based. So they're up 28-7 with 27 minutes left in the game, right, after they score on an opening drive the second half. They let FSU go and score, but it takes five minutes. So, you know, there you go. You've got seven minutes left in the third quarter at that point. They get the ball back. FSU destroys that drive. That's the worst drive of the game for Wake Forest. They go for negative 12 yards, three and out, two minutes. They have to get rid of it. FSU gets it back, and that's really their chance then and there to potentially kind of tighten it up and give himself enough comfort with time. But FSU goes six plays, negative 15 yards, four minutes and 20 seconds, and has to punt it back. So at that point, the math is completely on Wake's side. Wake is up two touchdowns in a comfortable place. Wake tries to establish a drive, gets six plays off, takes three minutes. So they basically have milked it to the point where we're in the fourth quarter. There's about 12 and a half minutes left. FSU gets back. They score. They actually score fairly quickly, 58 yards, seven plays, 252, put points on the board. That tightens it up and crunches it. Wake then comes out and has an 18-play drive that takes seven minutes. He just kills the clock. So he knew there is X amount of drives remaining once they got up 21 points, and they played to that. The only thing that disrupted that was FSU having the three negative 12 defensive drive and then the relatively quick strike, 758, 252. Yeah, I think um, I think you brought up the, the 18 play drive. Like, what would you rather have? Would you rather go ahead and score than let Florida State get the ball back, or would you rather your offense be on the field for as long as possible? 18 plays is ridiculous. Um, like, I feel like that's not taking your foot off gas. That's just playing smart football. Um, if you're able to drain the clock as much as possible and not let Florida State even have the ability to drive down the field, like, it's it just. It, it worked out better for Wake doing that. Um, they didn't need to go light up the scoreboard, you know, multiple times in the fourth quarter. They needed to drain the clock. That's what Dave Clawson did, and that's how they ultimately won that game. And even that drive, that eighteen-play drive, and that's the one where Greedy Vance nearly has the interception, yeah. and it turns into a first down. How many third-down conversions were there on that drive? Three or four. I mean, there was a fourth-down conversion yeah. on there, um, and even that, that was in third and long, and they ran the ball, which Dave Clawson's a smart coach, like he. He knew we were going to play for four four downs there. Um, so, yeah, that, I, I think we're all on the same page there. To be fair, to Buddy also made a really good point, and I think this is worth talking about as well, and that was about what FSU's record is after five games with the circumstances that have surrounded this team. FSU's at four and one. It's dealt with a ton of injuries, both from the preseason and in season, uh, and there's been a lot of pleasant developments. Uh, Jordan Travis has been a better passer than – uh, even myself, the fan of the Jordan Travis fan club, could have could have expected uh, what you got with what the wide receiver developments with Johnny Wilson and Micah Pittman. You hit on those guys. Uh, there's Jared Verse, uh, even with injury, is averaging to sack a game. Like there's a lot to be excited about long term for this program, the direction of it, and even the season uh, as you're kind of dealing with uh, a ton of injuries right now in a, in a difficult stretch. Uh, so buyers to know, like, FSU fans should be pleased with where FSU is at with the 4-1 start, even with the most recent loss. Uh, 
I'm buying that. Like I, four and one is better than I would have expected. Uh, you lost to a team that outplayed you on Saturday. That doesn't, to me, change the complexion of where this program is going. Sorry, um, my mute button wasn't working. Yeah, um, it was working <clears throat> too well. Clearly, what was the? <clears throat> oh, gross! What are we doing? Sorry, I'm not what? doing well. Um, <laughs> what was happening? the what was the phrasing of the question? Buyers and own FSU fans should be happy with the four and one start. Oh, bye. Um, yeah, I would not have predicted. Uh, you know, I didn't predict it. Obviously, I predicted them to lose to LSU. So my record um, would have been three and two going into this point. Um, and they probably should have lost that Louisville game due to the circumstances, right? Like they lost a ton of uh, contributors and and Jordan Travis. Um, hey, at least my mic didn't die like Chris. Hey, I don't um, know what's happening. Chris's mic died. Your brain died. I, I'm it's... good. I'm good. No, but yeah, I, I think Florida State fans should be content with where they are right now, where the team is. Um, but I think these next two games are going to be pivotal um, and, and, you know, how the rest of the season shakes out. Uh, try unmuting yourself, Chris. Let's see if this works. Oh, there we go. We're good. All right. Red, sorry about that. Um, FSU at four and one is more than I expected them to be at five games. So I'm content with it. Um, the key for them is to compete in these next two, try to steal one. They had a chance to steal one on Saturday. They were unsuccessful in doing so. And even if they do end up four and three after seven, then the key down the stretch is just winning the ones you've got to win. You know, beat Louisiana, beat Georgia Tech, you're bowl eligible. Syracuse obviously undefeated, but they're not some juggernaut by any stretch. But they are a challenging team. You've got to be prepared to play them or they'll make you pay for it. That's not a chance to win a game. Florida, everybody in this fan base watches enough Florida to know who. So, yeah, FSU will have a shot. Byers to FSU fans should still probably feel okay if you're at four and three after the next couple of weeks. I don't expect the – also known that. I don't expect the – expectations have tempered themselves back to the reality of what preseason was. Okay. That's, that's reasonable. Uh, I, I guess I would still say bye uh, from where you are and just uh, the amount of injuries you've endured right now uh, with this stretch. Like I think at this point, if you can somehow win one of the next two, uh, that's exquisite. That puts you ahead of the curve still. And with that bye week coming up in, in three weeks, uh, having the chance to then go into November with a few pretty winnable games and uh, maybe if you can get healthy in time for some of your rivalry contests, I think that would be great. Um, so, But my expectations, like if you're sitting at four and three right now, I, I think I'd still buy being okay with that. What about you, Zach? Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I but I'm also with Chris in that I don't think people's people's expectations will be tempered enough to be okay with that. Um, but I'll buy in that they should be because Florida State should not, you know, on paper win in any of the next two games, um, especially with you know Jared Jared Verse being limited. You have an in, you know injuries elsewhere. At you know Fabian Lovett is a huge injury. He's your best interior defensive lineman, um, and and he's been out for. Um, I think three weeks now. So it's just he needs they need to get him back um, if they can for any of these two games. I think that would be massive if he can win any of these two games. It, it would change the season outlook for me greatly. Uh, I think, um, but I'm not expecting that. Like I'm, I'll probably predict them to lose both games. 
Um, but I think they have a shot, um, at least in, in both of them. And I don't think that's something, you know, before the season, like, you know, we didn't know how Clem- good Clemson was going to be going into the season, but clearly their defense is elite. Um, and they, and the offense looks way better than last year. So, um, I guess we'll see. Um, but, but yeah, I think people need to temper their expectations, right? Like, um, that we're playing Florida State's playing three ranked teams back to back to back. Um, they will have, you know, a lesser back half of the schedule that they can get to later on. Um, but they need to get through the stretch and preferably healthy, you know, in, in a healthy fashion. Um, I think that's the most important thing. You need to you need to get healthy over the next two weeks and not, you know, further in you know the the injury plague that that's been on this team throughout you know the first five games or so uh, of this season. So yeah, I'll buy, um, but people really need to temper their expectations uh, t- towards what you know the preseason was kind of saying. A little sidebar conversation that Zach brings up here is the injuries. I think so often we think of an injury as, man, we lost that guy who's going to replace him. How is that guy going to play and replacing him? But we've seen with Robert Scott that his loss, because it changes numbers on the O-line, has been very detrimental because it's forced guys into duty at two positions, and it's really a struggle. Instead of maybe having Robert lock down one of those spots, the other two guys kind of co-handling the other spot, maybe you have better results. And on the defensive side, the loss of Lovett has decimated the ability of the defensive line to be successful. I mean, Jared Verse still finds some success. Pat Payton's had good moments. Uh, but in general, that group's really short. Josh Farmer's flash at times. and Daniel Lines in limited duty had good moments. But a guy like Jarrett Jackson hasn't stepped up at all. He's been a disappointment in these last few weeks. And I don't think he's 100% just to be fair to him. But like at the same time, you got to make plays. This is your opportunity. Here you go. And it hasn't happened. The loss of love, it's been pretty devastating. That group on Saturday kind of got pushed around. And Wake had a great deal of success at the point of attack at moving the ball, and while FSU did rack up nine negative plays and four sacks, the D-line wasn't super impactful in that game outside of a couple drives. Wake Wake's running back had his first career 100-yard game. Yeah, career high. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, career high and his first 100. It never surpassed 100. He what, had like one 130. Um, it just – not great. It, it, to be fair, like the defensive line, I mean, that was going to be my next buyer's to know is the interior defensive line in trouble without – without Fabian Lovett, I think we all like buy, like it is yeah. in trouble right now. Uh, Robert Cooper left the Boston college game with a lower leg injury. I don't think he's hundred percent right now. Obviously returned uh, to play against wake this past week, but I don't think he's hundred uh, percent. Chris mentioned Jarrett Jackson. I don't think he's hundred percent. Malcolm Ray keeps leaving games and sometimes returning. Uh, yeah. He got real banged up at Louisville. Uh, you always see that shoulder cast or a little brace around his shoulder. I guess that, what is that, a stabilizer kind of deal? Yeah. Like once you start having shoulder issues, it, it can kind of keep reoccurring. My point is your top four defensive tackles that you entered the season with this position group that was supposed to be a strength. This is an excuse. I'm just, this is the reality of it. Your best one hasn't played since the second game of the season. And your other three have not played at hundred percent. Probably yeah. all season, or at least many, weeks. Some of the other uh, Dennis Burks, for example, and I'm president of said fan club. Uh, he hasn't taken a next step. He's been pretty much on par with what he's been for his career, and at times he's truthfully been kind of disappointing this would, year. He's would still, you move him back inside, by or Snow? Uh, uh, well, Briggs at defensive again, tackle. It, it's a numbers game. If you do that, you're increasing Pat Payton's role, and I like Pat Payton. I think Pat Payton's a very athletic guy off the edge who can help pressure passers, but I think you're taking something away from your run defense by doing that. So Didn't Pat it, get dinged up against 
Yeah, there was a play where he tried to make a tackle, got dragged a little bit, and took a minute to get off the field. After he's all good. Okay, cool. You're shaking your head adamantly, Zach. Would you make the full play to move Dennison? I think so. But Chris brings up a good point. Like, how much do you suffer on the you know, you know, edge of the line in the run game? I think, I don't know. I think Pat Payton played better than any defensive lineman other than Jared Verse. I don't think I'm missing anyone. Yeah, like he he definitely played a really good game against um, you know against Wake. I just yeah, I may, it maybe the solution is moving Dennis inside. Like the the interior defensive line. Like I know you you guys mentioned like they they've been injury plagued, but they have not looked good. Like even before that, like I just it's just Robert Cooper is not impressing me. Malcolm Ray um, is doing his job, but I just feel like they're not you know, they're not making a difference on the game like we expected them to do, before, you know, preseason, right? Like, Yeah, but to that point, Cooper's supposed to be a space eater. He's supposed to consume multiple guys and free up the guy beside him, and that's what makes Love and him such a good combo. The guy beside him's done a poor job pretty consistently. Yeah, but I, I feel like Robert Cooper, at least last season, had, like, was impacting plays more often. I, And in that, you know, maybe that's because he had just such an elite, tandem of edges um to help him out um and 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 now i'd you know teams aren't having to to scheme for jermaine johnson and, and here thomas it's just you know whoever's healthy and and you know what what jared verse i think had like what 15 snaps in that game um I, I don't know if i'm right on that but i think i heard that so um yeah it's just like it doesn't seem like Robert Cooper is making as big of a difference. And you're right, Chris, the other defensive tackle has to step up because it's really not uh Coop's job to be, you know, a complete difference maker on that line. He's supposed to eat space um, and, and try to get, you know, multiple offensive linemen held up um, to open up, uh, you know, rushing lanes for, for other guys. So, uh, yeah, um, it's just been an underwhelming unit as far as the depth goes, right? Like we weren't expecting these guys to be, major contributors you know but these injuries have caused that and they in my opinion have failed to step up in a big way robert cooper's pff grade this year is at 61.5 last year was 74.6 was a pretty startling difference not that it's the adult you know verse played 23 total snaps according to pff okay um the other point i'll make about the d-line is when the d-line struggling it hurts the secondary and oh, I, I think we saw that a good bit on Saturday. The yeah, secondary has been a bit the, of a concern all year, but yeah. That was the story of the first half, I felt like, right? Like yeah. the, they just weren't they weren't able to stay in coverage against Wake's elite receivers for, for as long as the defensive line forced them to. And like it, it felt like they were getting literally zero pressure before Jared Verse got in the game, and that's kind of what opened things up. Um uh, yeah, but they did the they did the secondary no help in the first half. I really hope A.T. Perry goes pro for the record. Oh, my Lord. He's very good. Uh, so if Wake if Wake's in on a wide receiver in the Georgia or Florida area, you should, like, go back Michael around. Circle, yeah, that'd be a good example. Circle back around, do another Offer email there. Uh, uh, someone on the board asked, like, why is the secondary taking a step back this year? It's like, well, you don't have Jermaine Johnson and Kier Thomas. You have to blitz more. Uh, Jared Verse hasn't played for a game and a half. I mean – yeah, I mean that's Duke Cooper hasn't been as good as he was last year either. No. That's someone some else that, like injury. He was banged up early in the year. Yes, so the, yeah. the season uh, we can go down the list and talk about guys who aren't performing well, and I can say they're not a hundred percent. And if there was one 
huge, massive takeaway I took last year from being at practice consistently for the first time in my journalism career, like being able to be at practice day in, day out. It's that if you're not totally 100% or close to it, uh, you're, you don't practice as well and you don't improve as much during the week. And then that leads to stagnation during on-field production on Saturdays. And, and so you know, FSU played really well at the end of last season. It was also the healthiest it was last year. And that's kind of what you're trying to hope to get through this next couple of weeks and go through the bye week. And hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, everyone's 100%. Kind of brings me to the last buyer's to know and the last thing we'll do here on the podcast today. Uh, buyer's to know, FSU is going to have to turn to a future freshman in the next like game. Yeah, I was going to say in the next week or two. Like in the next in the, by this game coming up, they'll have to turn to a couple true freshmen earlier than anticipated. Byers snow. Super uncomfortable buy for me. Um, I don't want to throw Julian Armella in the fire against NC State or Clemson. That's a hell of a lot to ask of any freshman offensive lineman ever. I like Julian Armella a ton. I think he's going to be good. I love how tenacious he is. He shows good effort. I also think he needs to stack good practices on top of each other to be trusted with being thrown into that role, which isn't a knock on him. That's normal for a freshman. It's an adjustment period, especially when you're a big body freshman. Um, but I think it might be a necessity at this point. I don't know how much longer you can keep rolling 79, 76 out there together and thinking you're going to have success. If you're not getting Robert Scott back and he was super gimpy in pregame, so even if you are getting him back this week, I'm still not sure how healthy he's going to be. I think at some point Armello is going to have to be leaned into. And on the defensive side of all, I think AZ Thomas is a guy that we're probably all thinking about. He got the most burn I think he's had all season on Saturday. I thought he performed decently, um, especially in comparison to his cohorts in the secondary in that game. Yeah, AZ Thomas is a kid that we loved in the preseason. They all have a learning curve, but you need somebody to start making some plays in that secondary. Yeah, I I mean that those are the two guys I would have pointed out. Um, I definitely think Izzy Thomas needs to see his role increase because um, you know, mixed with injuries and guys just not playing well, like the, the secondary needs um a guy like AZ Thomas, in my opinion. He he showed in that BC game that that he's super athletic. Um and he needs you need to let him build his confidence. Um and what better way to do that against you know, some of the better offenses uh, in the ACC and in the country. Obviously, I'm joking a little bit. Like, it's going to be a tough task, right? Um, but I think AZ Thomas is up for it. Um, and then Armella, right? Like, the issue is you don't want to throw your true freshman uh, offensive tackle in the fire and have him lo- lose confidence early on against some of the best defensive lines in the country, um, like NC State and Clemson's. So, for me, it's like, I just like Chris said, like the tackle situation is so worrisome right now because Wake's defensive line is not some all conference unit. Like they have some good pieces. Like Kobe Turner's a beast. He's PFF's top rated defender, uh, regardless of position on defense. Um, but there that's not some elite defensive line by any stretch. Um and, and FSU got manhandled on on Saturday um by that by that defensive front so yeah and it's only going to get harder from from over the next two weeks and i think it's tough to throw a true freshman into that um you know especially on the road against nc state and then against the top five team in clemson i just i don't know man 
I, it's hard for me to to say play Armella, but at this point, the the play has been so poor, especially this last game, that they might just have to. All right, thank you to the Turner Group for sponsoring this segment of Buyers Known. Sorry, that was a very phlegmy uh, microphone struggling edition. Guys are getting your money's worth. It opted out on me. I don't know what the heck happened. I'm sitting here and it went green to red on me. Miami Zach, are you are you gonna get me COVID up. again, Zach? Is that I what's happening? I do not have COVID. It's some bug. I don't know. My me and my girlfriend have it, so Whoa. I'm trying to get it trying to get over with it, man. Kids show. Dude, chill. It's like it's just I'm not even like I wake up in the morning, I'm super congested, but the rest of the day I'm fine. So I need to like take some medicine right before I go to bed or something. Take care of yourself, boo boo. It's gonna be a long season. We're not even halfway through it yet. I got I gotta go to rally this weekend with Chris. Rally? Rally. Rally. Is it how's it pronounced? Let us know. Hey, if you're listening to this still for some reason, let us know. If I died, Rally, at least I will die free. Oh, we made it 59 minutes. You know when Brendan starts singing it has to end, please. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.